What's good, guys? This is Chard with the Spokes and Chokes podcast. This is currently October 3rd, 2022, and we're going to talk about some fights from the oddly weird perspective of a BMX rider. Basically, over the recent months, I've discovered more and more just how many BMX riders really are into combat sports, whether it be MMA, boxing, jiu-jitsu, etc., one of my closest friends, who was a very, very long-time BMX rider and still rides from time to time, is now an absolute jiu-jitsu savant and uh, kind of started me on this path of getting more into MMA and into combat sports and really enjoying such things. And I've decided I wanted to do a little podcast about it. And then occasionally I'll bring on other BMX riders that are into it and just have some fun times. And we'll obviously I'll also talk about BMX from time to time if something especially interesting happens. Um, such as maybe on a future episode, I'll talk about Nora Cup, um, things like that. We'll see. Um, but as of right now, we'll talk about the most recent UFC card, which is UFC in Vegas, uh, Mackenzie Dern versus Yan Jianan. This was kind of one of those, you get one of those sleeper cards every now and again, where you expect it to, you kind of look at it on the surface level and you go, eh, that might no, it might not be very good, or it might be awesome, like, you never know. It's one of those ones where, like, you hope there aren't too many mismatches, you hope it's not too Bellator-like. Um, but yeah, we'll just jump right into it. I'm gonna dis- I'm gonna do these from the bottom of the card all the way up, um, and just kind of briefly mention uh, everything from the prelims to the main event. If you want to hear about the main event, then it's gonna be at the end. We're gonna try that format for a little bit, and... If it doesn't work out, then we'll switch it up and change it and make it something else. But that's where we're at right now. Um, so we're going to jump right into it. Let's talk about let's talk about good old Guido. Guido Canetti. So this guy is really, really old for 135. We're talking like, I think he's 42, if I remember correctly. But man, he absolutely put on a show against Randy Costa. Randy Costa went in, he looked a little nervous. Um, Not sure why. Maybe it's just because he always kind of does. He has those big eyes. He's got those deer in the headlights going on. Um, But he is also a very... Randy Costa is no pushover. He's a technical striker, and he's kind of good everywhere. Um, But bantamweights, just... Bantamweights cannot miss. Like Every single bantamweight fight on this card was really solid and that seems to be a really consistent theme over the last few years is that like bantamweight is just kind of taken over for lightweight as the number as like the best division in the ufc right now and kind of the best division everywhere in one fc as well um i don't really think about bellator very much but i'm sure theirs is decent um but yeah um guido canetti and randy costa basically it's it's pretty it's a pretty cut and dry, quick smashing. Um, but it started in a really interesting way where basically Guido was countering low kicks with his own and they were expertly timed and placed. And he did it twice and knocked Randy Costa down both times. The second time he then sprints in, jumps on Costa and quickly gets the back and doesn't have the hook synced in, just sinks the choke and uses that old man's old man isometric strength to just make him tap early. And honestly, Guido, it looks like Guido's legs are so short that the <laughs> he would have a hard time getting the, the hooks in anyway. Um, but yeah, he just sunk it in, got it done. And uh, he's one of, he gets, gives me the impression that he's one of those guys, like if you think about like, if you've ever arm wrestled or rolled with like an older guy that's just for some reason they have that like they're not explosive but they have that old man strength where like once they get a grip you're not getting rid of it it's just there it's like the grip is just there now (laughs) and you're gonna have a hell of a time trying to break it um but guido canetti seems like that kind of a guy he's jacked and he's also those there's another brazilian or no he this guy's argentinian but There's a Brazilian on here as well where um, some guys, like, the face looks 42, but the body is, like, 30. It's, like, the opposite of, you know, sometimes you'll see an older woman with a lot of makeup on. Their face will look, like, younger, but then their body is, like, oh, you're not that young. 
Guido's the opposite of that. It's like he has makeup on his body <laughs> and his face looks old. Um, who knows? Maybe it's some special supplements, but that was a fun one. Really quick. It was over in about a minute. And uh, But it was it was cool to see him. And Randy Costa's got plenty of time to bounce back and really make something make something of his career and I don't think I don't think they'll cut him right away. I think he'll be all right. As well as a a loss like this is weirdly if you're going to get beaten this handily, it's nice that it's a submission and it's not terribly physically taxing because that means Randy can come back and get another fight really quickly. Um so he needs another, you know, he needs the check needs to get back in there so he can kind of wash the taste out of his mouth. He can do that without having to worry about being too physically beat up as long as he didn't, you know, suffer any injuries in camp. Um, So yeah, that one was fun. Moving on, we're going to go to the next fight in the card, which is Julia Stolyarenko and Chelsea Chandler. Chelsea Chandler, um, weird, very weird situation with her weight. Where Chelsea Chandler effectively... Stoyarenko was the one that was taking this fight on short notice, but Chandler's the one that called for the catch weight at 140. Clearly carries um, a little more body fat than your typical fighter, and either there were troubles with trying to schedule a fight and then not getting one, and then scheduling another one. Like the, was, I think she had a few that fell out, so obviously being in, out, in, out, in, out of camp... That's going to cause its own issues. But also, if your diet's on point, shouldn't be that big of a deal. But she definitely came in the much bigger of the two and just kind of smushed Stoyarenko with just top pressure and made Stoyar... Basically, Stoyarenko's game is the armbar. That's kind of her, like, big thing. She doesn't really have that much else. I mean, nine finishes out of her fights are armbars. And... It just gives you a little bit of perspective on how uh, the state of women's MMA, for the large part, is, you know, Jessica Rose Clark, I like to think of as a pretty decent fighter, and she went into the fight with Stoyarenko after, like, you know, over half a dozen armbar finishes, and then it happens to her anyway. You know, Jessica Rose Clark got armbarred by this, by Stoyarenko, and you go, how, you know, that was probably a avoidable that was probably that probably should have been like a primary focus of your camp is armbar defense or especially like not putting yourself in a position to be easily armbarred and yet it happened anyway but chelsea chandler obviously took notes and went oh this woman's got armbars that's her main thing i should she clearly worked on armbar defense and made sure that that wouldn't happen and had very good balance on top um definitely helped that she was clearly the bigger woman of the two um, she had to, she clearly had to cut to get to 140, at least a little bit, um, where Stolyarenko probably didn't cut anything. Um, at least that's what it appeared on the surface. And Chandler just kind of smushed it with top control and Stolyarenko got really tired in the process. And then eventually Chandler got her back to the ground after Stolyarenko got up and found Mount pounded her out that was that definitely going to be interesting the post fight was weird because it was basically Chandler saying um if it's short notice I'll take a 145 if it's uh if I have good amount of notice then I can take a 35 so obviously that's something that Dano likes to hear is you know having availability for short notice if only there were other fighters at 145 for women's yeah that's the only issue with that is that division is so incredibly shallow that, yeah, there's a chance, I guess, that there would be a short notice if somebody fell out up there. But, I mean, out of the, what are there, four? Four women there now? Something like that? Yeah, who knows. But, hey, we got a a big, smushy wrestler woman from the Midwest who's big now. So, who knows? See what happens. Uh, moving on, we got a middleweight fight between Christoph Jotko and Brandon Allen. This one was a lot of fun. Um, Brendan Allen is always a pleasure. He's always high action and and slick and interesting. Um, Brendan Allen has great jiu-jitsu. He has his cornrows are always really cool looking. I I imagine maybe he's married. I don't know. I don't know anything about him personally, but clearly whoever's doing his hair is 
doing cool shit. Gotta love seeing that. But Christoph Jocko takes him down early. and But Brendan Allen is very active off his back. And once he realizes that the initial scramble is not going to work, then he just bides his time and works on keeping himself ideally positioned while in the bottom of half guard so that once Jocko put gets in the exact right time, uh, Brendan Allen just bridges, sweeps him, then works from top position and just does a great, great job and basically makes Jocko have to makes Jocko give his back, snatches it up, chokes him. First round towards the end of the round, and just like Brendan Allen does a great job. And he called out Fluffy, which is cool. That's a fun fight. Cause Fluffy's kind of like on the rise, having lost some weight and taking it a little more seriously, and he's looking like a ton of fun. Um, and having a really nice, well-rounded game. And so Brendan Allen and him, that would be a really fun fight between a couple of like really solid jiu-jitsu players that um, are high action at middleweight. And it's really nice to see good middleweights because, let's be honest, a lot of middleweight is kind of ass. Next fight is Joaquin Silva and Jesse Ronson. (sighs) I find myself, I always find myself torn when there's a Canadian fighter because I want Canadian fighters to succeed and do well. And I really, I generally like them. Most of them are seem to be kind of cool. Or have, like, self-image problems, like mean Hakeem Duodu. Hakeem, unfortunately, is um, not that mean. He just makes this, like, scowly face, like he's trying to be mean so much. He looks like a middle schooler who's desperately trying to be mean. Jesse Ronson had a little bit of that as well, where it's like he's trying to seem, like, angrier than he probably is. Uh, but he was a bigger, he was the bigger, longer guy. I imagine probably ended up heavier on weight on a fight day as well. And Ronson came out aggressive, did a lot of good things, showed some toughness. He really should shave his head because man, it it looks like it looks like he has the hair that a baby has when they first, you know, and they're like a week old, where there's like that there's a little bit of hair in the back, but then there's like a sole round tuft in the front. And <laughs> you go, what is going on here? It's like a it's like imagine if a widow's peak didn't come to a point and then like started going in once it got past the first inch of hair so it ends up just like a weird a flared out triangle in f- in front of your hair. It's very strange. Um but Ronson he was looking pretty good and ultimately the big thing is that Joaquin Silva was just clearly a little tougher and more technical. Um, Joaquin Silva made the great use of a stance switch of stance switching and switching up his attacks, and it definitely made uh, Ronson a little caught him a little off guard dealing with the stance switch. It's nice to see that even at you know not a super high ranked fight. Sometimes you just get these slick lightweights that just make it look good. Yeah, Joaquin Silva during the broadcast, uh, I think. Anik or Felder mentioned that he has been a skateboarder and a moto rider at one point, as well as being in the Brazilian military. So, like, this is, I mean, shit, compared to doing all that, like, fighting's definitely not scary for the guy. (laughs) He's just like, well, there's more money in this, so I'm doing it. Cool to see him doing well and just being a jack short guy that throws hard, and but has some cleverness. Also, his head is tiny. Look at that man in the post-fight interview, and you're like, it, it looks like his head has like been shrunken like 10%. It's strange. You know, make him a little bit harder to hit. Who knows? Now, oh, now it's time to talk about Alir Latifi and Alexi Olenek. Man, these guys just... <sighs> Alexi Olenek feels like he is as old as time itself. He has been around for so long. Like, I think two years ago is when they were saying that he had fought in four decades. And he's still here, still being old and much less dangerous by the minute when it comes to getting submissions. It's like, but his arms are so long and he's got so many Ezekiels. And it's like, he has Ezekiels because he's fighting bad heavyweights. <laughs> like, it's, he doesn't have Ezekiels because his Ezekiel's really good. <laughs> 
And then, of course, they put him up against Ilir Latifi, who is a brick, has zero neck. He looks like a Suntaran from Doctor Who. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, look that up and you will laugh very much. Um, they're this like do- warrior race in Doctor Who that have no neck and their head looks like the top of a capsule. Um, but yeah, look up Suntaran because that's what Ilir Latifi looks like. Um, he is actually square shaped um, and he has done nothing but gain weight since going up to two, to um, heavyweight, going up from two, 205, which he was already short and awkward at 205. And then he goes, I know how to solve this problem. I'll go up to heavyweight where I'm, I look even smaller compared to these guys. He's got that like powerlifter build where like he has this huge gut, but you can see the ab lines in it. But as to be expected from a guy with that kind of build and as to be expected from Alexi Olenek, who is a rotting oak of an old man, they both got very tired. They did some grappling. Ilir Latifi spent a lot of time on top, in top control, um, not really being threatened by submissions at all, not anything meaningful. While the announced team was trying to like play up the kind of threats that potentially could exist for Olenek, but never really happened. Um, and really, both guys ended up just absolutely exhausted by the end. And by the end, Ilir Latifi... Uh, won the decision via boring and despite towards the end Olenek being the less tired guy somehow despite spending the whole fight on the bottom and just being I keep saying it but just being old and he actually ended up starting to gain some ground on the feet uh Olenek just kind of using his long reach and being able to touch Latifi but it was kind of too little too late and the decision was lost um, in the post-fight interview, Latifi uh, was kind of like half and half on whether he would retire. He like started to take his glove off and then stopped. But you can tell that he's not like that enthusiastic about fighting anymore. And ultimately, if that's the case and you're not really struggling for money, it is a good time to retire at that point because you know nobody wants to see an old aging fighter really lose that fire to do it and then get knocked out a bunch. And it's just, you know, we've seen it too many times and it's really sad when it happens. So I hope Latifi goes ahead and, and retires as long as he's financially stable and, uh, goes on to have a nice, happy, possibly fat life. (laughs) The next fight, which one fight of the night was John Castaneda and Daniel Santos. John Castaneda having one of my favorite nicknames I've heard in a long time, Sexy Mexi. And they had a great back and forth brawl. They had a they had a great time. And once again, as to be expected, now there were bantamweights who were fighting at a catchweight, but just an absolute just the bantamweights just always deliver. They're just good. Um basically early on, uh John Castaneda knocks Daniel down twice, knocks Daniel Santos down with a high kick. First time he knocks him down, he just lets him get back up. And then later he knocks him down with a straight right, uh, landed takedowns, landed some grounded strikes after landing another head, the second head kick. Nearly finished Daniel on the feet as they kind of nearly gets a standing TKO from just sheer volume and aggression. But then. Daniel rallied and ended the round strong. And then Dominic Cruz gives props to Keith Peterson without mentioning Keith Peterson's name and being like, oh yeah, I'm really glad he let that one go. And it's like, dumb, get over it. It's it's so long ago now, dude. Like, seriously. At the end of the day, you lost to Cejudo and that's the end of that. Like, stop complaining. It was like, a, it, you can tell Dom is just has that little bit of bitterness in him and he always has had that little bit of bitterness in him but he like hesitantly gives props to keith peterson where it was like he didn't want to say something positive but he also wanted to make that dig but yeah like the first round was absolute fire um just like crazy that daniel santos was able to hold on and keep it going in round two as far as the hands go they were 
pretty, not totally evenly matched, but they were pretty close and uh, had a lot of both landed good jabs, things like that. But then Daniel just started landing this absolutely crushing body kick, landed a bunch of them. And then as he was able to get John at get Castaneda to back off and back into the fence, Daniel Santos just absolutely would not stop with the pressure and just constant volume. Ultimately used clinch knees to close the show. Just full aggression and power. And I, I remember I didn't realize what camp he was from. And I was like, man, this guy is really fighting like Charles Oliveira. Turns out he trains at Shootbox. He also has the dyed blonde hair and like dudes in the corner do too. And it's like, man, Shootbox is just, they're just having gym wars and really like getting these guys to have, to be gritty and tough and like not, not being willing to back down and just like, you got to kill him. You've got to kill him. Like, it's the same shit as Oliveira. Like, if you don't kill him, he's gonna come back and murder you. It's very much what Tony Ferguson was back when he fought Kevin Lee. It's that same kind of just, like, if you don't get this guy out of here, you might be fucked. Man, I feel like I should make, like, a 20-minute episode just talking about how great Tony Ferguson was in the actual prime of his career when he was at his peak. Because a lot of a lot of young fans don't realize what a absolute phenomenon Tony Ferguson was for a long time. But yeah, kind of that spirit lives on in these shootbox guys, and it's the sort of thing where like I'd almost wish Tony would go to that camp, but it's just his body won't do it anymore, and it, it, the body has been through too many wars and had too much abuse, and it's it's sad, but it's one of those things where like I hope Tony retires before too much longer because you know he's starting to say things like oh i'm back i feel good and i was like yeah you felt back and you were good against a nate diaz who should also be retired i love those fighters but it's there comes a time in every fighter's life where you should you should call it a day i genuinely think that jose aldo's retirement was like the most perfectly timed thing you could have where like he had i'll do another episode talking about the greatness of jose aldo but I think he I think it's important to have a good time to retire. But regardless, shootbox. Breeding killers. Goddamn. This dude, Daniel Santos, just like gritted through and then just wouldn't stop. Just full aggression. Made it exciting. Made it awesome. Comeback fights, you know, comeback to win is always a great time in MMA. And this was no exception. This is really awesome. Moving on to the next fight. We got the first fight on the main card. Lightweights, Mike Davis and Borishov. It's always funny when you see a Russian that isn't a great wrestler. Borishov clearly a really good kickboxer and was outclassing Mike Davis on the feet. But he just didn't have any answer for the grappling. He clearly hasn't been at Team Alpha Male long enough. Or, it I mean, it's a chance that... Team Alpha Male doesn't have that many bigger guy, that many like lightweights or bigger for him to grapple with. Now, I don't know this. Who knows? I mean, um, Alpha Male just always strikes me as a place that has a lot of small, a lot of like 145ers and smaller. But uh, regardless, uh, Mike Davis just takes Borishov down, outclasses him in the grappling, just controls and strikes and just makes it look good. Then in the second round, Borshov uh, controls on the feet and lands a lot of great kicks and a lot of great strikes um, for about three minutes before getting taken down and out grappled again, but taking not that much damage. I genuinely thought he won that round because um, Davis didn't really land much on the ground after for the last two uh, two minutes, but you know, MMA judging is crazy. You know, there are guys that one guy could be ahead by 10 strikes and then the other guy lands a takedown but does nothing with it and then steals the round. It's, you know, MMA judging, I everybody complains about it because it um, kind of sucks. But, uh, well, it sucks a lot of the time. But then third round is just a crazy, you know, starts really crazy because Borshov lands a straight left that seemingly broke Mike Davis's orbital because it landed so hard and it closed his eye so fast 
there's a good chance it probably didn't, but it definitely felt like that in the moment because it landed so hard and it closed his eye instantly. Then he said in the post-fight interview, basically after taking that strike, he was seeing like, if he had it open, he would see four of Borshov, and then if he closed it, he would see one. So he actually closed it on purpose because his vision just went all crazy after taking that shot. But then immediately goes, oh God, I gotta get this takedown. But then he gets the takedown and uh, has some control. I think Borshov landed the better strikes on the ground, actually. He landed some, some good elbows off the ground or off his back, stuff like that. But, of course, they are rarely judged well. Really, being on the bottom is being on the bottom when it comes to MMA judging. Two judges didn't give Borshov the second round, and I think that's crazy. I, d I wouldn't necessarily be mad that he didn't win the fight, because I think he definitely was controlled the vast majority of the first and the third rounds. But in the second round, he landed tons of great strikes and did some good damage and stuff. But, eh. You can't complain too much. It's MMA judging at the end of the day. Like, unless it's, like, really blatant robbery, um, you can't be too mad at it. Also, Mike J Mike Davis looks and sounds like Aziz Ansari. <laughs> I was half expecting him to start making, like, silly jokes. But overall, he's looking pretty good. He's on the, on the road to, uh, to goodness. Next fight is Don Shanus versus Sadiq Youssef. This was, I mean, a... Pretty clear squash match. At least that's what it felt like after the fact. Because Don Shanus kind of, I mean, they as he was walking out, or, or in the like pre-fight promo, they're like showing regional footage of the guy. <sighs> Just like, when you go into a fight and Sadiq Yusuf is a, a minus 1,000 favorite, and Don is a plus 700. Now, this might be a short notice replacement. I don't know. If this was a matchup they made, a few months ago, and they both got full camps for this, um, that's just a bad matchmake. That's bad job in the matchmaking room. Um, Don Shanus clearly shouldn't have been in there, and Sadiq Yusuf made it look easy. Just crushed him. It was genuinely kind of sad. There's not really a lot else to say about it. Sadiq Yusuf is clearly on a completely different level. You can see that from the records. Next, ooh, this one was fun. Howney Barcelos and Trevin Jones. Howney Barcelos is another one of those guys that, like, you can tell how old he is from his face, but then his body looks like, you know, like a college football player or something, like, just jacked and rad. He's clearly very happy to be on his Brazilian supplements, but they had a hell of a fight. Barcelos, the thing is, is at the end of the day, Barcelos was just kind of better everywhere and had good control of position and landed the harder shots. And genuinely, and like every time Howney Barcelos would hit Trevin Jones, it would move Trevin significantly. It would make Trevin move. And then when Trevin would hit Barcelos, Barcelos would just no-sell it. And it would be like he punched a wall. Barcelos just looked like he was made of denser stuff. And that was kind of the story of the fight. And, you know, Barcelos ends up winning by decision. Now let's talk about the real fight everyone wanted to talk about. Because, well, every smark, or smart mark, as the wrestling industry calls it. Not the real wrestling industry, the pro wrestlers, the dumb ones that I love. Because we all love Francisco Trinaldo. Because he's an absolute ancient warhorse of a Brazilian man that refuses to die, always gives exciting fights, and is just tough as nails. And he still hits like a truck. He moved up to 170, and he's still able to knock people out because he hits like a truck. And he kind of is one. This one, though, Trinaldo did a lot of work with the calf kicks. And then Randy knocked him down with a straight right, but Randy did not want any part of the ground game early. Then second round was just like a, a technical back and forth uh, where Trinaldo was landing the harder shots, but Randy was landing uh, a more more quantity. So it was one of those kind of toss-up rounds where do you give it to the guy who's landing harder but not necessarily hurting the other guy, just you can feel it is landing harder, or do you give it to the guy who's landing more? That one, it's like, I don't want to be a judge for that because I'll just like allow my bias to choose for me. And then the third round was good top control from Trinaldo. Not a lot of not a lot of landed strikes by Trinaldo on top. Overall, just good top control. Just savvy veteran stuff to try and steal the last round and see if he could take it. 
Randy ended up getting the win, which I'm not mad at. It's understandable. But Trinaldo, as always, even a loss, Francisco Trinaldo just really makes a good showing of himself and uh, reminds us how much how much he deserves the love he's been getting over the last few years as people are realizing just how good the guy is and just how significant his run at lightweight was. And he's just, unfortunately, too old to really capture that potential and realize that potential he had. It's just, you know, he's one of those guys where he was just underappreciated in his prime and never got the real push from the UFC because, you know, he didn't work at trying to get good, have good English and, you know, really be exciting on the mic or make any kind of waves as far as social media stuff, any of that sort of stuff. You know, Trinaldo would just, he would just show up, throw down, have great fights, and then you wouldn't hear about him until the next one. Unfortunately, in today's, you know, social media age, it's a tough way to get to the top. It's a tough way to really um, get those big matchups that you want. And part of it, too, is that Trinaldo, for whatever reason, has a hard time using his jab. And if he used his jab more, it would have taken him a lot further. Um, He would have been a lot harder to deny those positions that um, his talent clearly could have earned him. Love the guy, but Randy Brown did a great job. Randy Brown, you know, showed how to use his length as far as landing good jabs on Trinaldo because he was definitely the much taller, much longer guy. If you can win a gritty decision over Trinaldo, then you're solid. And, you know, that's a great thing to have on your record. So exciting to see what the future holds for Randy Brown. Hopefully he doesn't just end up getting wrestle-fucked by the next guy. Because there's so many wrestlers at 170 that uh, could probably do to him what Trinaldo did in the third round. All right, let's talk about the main event. Which, I like Mackenzie Dern. Yanjin Aon's solid. Obviously, from a rankings perspective, it makes sense that this would be a main event. If you got nothing better for a fight night card... Obviously, the weirdness that is having Zuckerberg, like, buy every seat so that he can just kind of awkwardly stand and cheer alone. Such a strange, strange thing that the UFC just went, oh, sure, you could do it, I guess. Like, maybe they were like, well, we won't let you do it for a more high-profile card, but, eh, the Mackenzie Dern fight, here you go. You can buy all the seats for that one. Obviously, you could see that Mackenzie Dern felt a little weird about it in the interview where she talked about it. And the biggest thing about that situation is less about Mark Zuckerberg himself and more about the fact that the environment for fighting becomes very weird. It becomes very strained and very strange. You're in a situation now where you have no crowd, no fans, only have... It's, it, it takes it back to... It kind of gives an advantage to anyone who fought during COVID times, um, during the height of COVID times, when they had to fight with no crap, with no fans, and it was you could only hear the announcers in your cor- the announcers, the ref in your corners, which definitely changes the dynamic of the fight dramatically, especially when you can hear the uh, the commentators so clearly. Um, that definitely makes things weird. You get those strange moments of, like, Kevin Holland asking DC for wrestling advice and things like that. But it definitely, it makes the atmosphere very strange. A good amount, it, and it also puts almost a weird asterisk on the card because it's weird for this to happen after having not had that dynamic in a fight card for quite a while. It's been a, you know, it's been a year and a half, I think, since we had fight cards like that. It just makes the dynamic strange, and it almost puts a weird asterisk because fighters will fight different in weird environments oftentimes. You know, a lot of guys, it favors the gym warrior, you know, the the gym champions, you know, the guys that, the guys that when they're at the gym and they're sparring are like world beaters. And they're absolute monsters. We've all heard stories about guys that, when they're in the gym, absolute beasts. And then in competition, you know, sometimes they'll they'll either not perform as well. And some, sometimes there will be people who perform incredibly in the gym and then just fall on their faces And when the pressure is on. I don't have any on the top of my head, but I feel like 
most of you who are listening, if you've been longtime fans, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Just guys where the pressure just gets to them. I mean, one of the things I think about oftentimes where people were super, super impressed by uh, Cowboy Cerrone is how steady his schedule was and how much he would fight and how he would fight at like... I mean, he tried to stay so busy and genuinely by seeing his behavior over the last few years, um, especially when he has high profile fights, is he wasn't necessarily doing that for the money. You know, he would talk about, oh, well, I like to spend money, blah, blah, blah. I think a lot of it was his mentality was the more he fought, the less the nerves would affect him because he would kind of be more used to it because he was definitely a guy where the bright lights would get to him. And he, I mean, he's been pretty open about it, um, how that would happen. Oftentimes you'll see guys in the gym where, you know, they, they're absolute slayers in the gym and then they go to an event, go to a competition and things just don't work as well because the pressure is on, even if they have, you know, all the ability in the world to just make things happen. Um, and it's not as though it's a fault of their own. It's just how some people are. And it's harder for some people than others to just shut all that stuff off. So that's what makes this card such a strange dynamic when you just have one fan in the, in the room. And it's almost weirder than having no fans at all because you've just got this other foreign voice that you're not used to being the one that's like cheering instead of, you know, giving corner advice or commentating or whatever. So I just wanted to mention that before I forgot about it, before I, I forgot to mention it because it is just a strange thing to have in your fight card. And I hope this does not become a common theme. I hope that future cards don't have just like a celebrity buying all the seats because it's going to make fight cards feel very weird and it's not, it's not right for the fighters. Because lately the Apex cards, you know, the, the fans that have been going have been like rowdy enough that, you know, it still at least feels like an event. It doesn't you know, have that crickets in the background sort of thing. You know, the, the crowd tends to be active now, which is cool. And I hope that we don't have more celebrities trying to hijack cards because they want to feel like big shots or they feel like they're going to get shit from other people if they go to a public place. So I hope this does not become a common theme because that would suck. But main event, Mackenzie Dern and Yan Jonan. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm probably not, but most of us aren't because we don't have, we don't speak Chinese. Most of us, um, at least most of the people listening to my garbage, are probably don't speak Chinese. This was, I, I went into this fight thinking Mackenzie Dern's takedowns are her problem. Mackenzie Dern, she doesn't have the best punching form, but she can hit decently hard, and she's gritty and tough, and she'll just stick it out and make that work for her. But when she does that, if she can't get the takedown and she can't get the, her grappling going, she'll she'll struggle. And this fight was very much a story of that. Xiaonan, her t- basically Xiaonan's takedown defense was just good enough to get her the to get her the win. Despite ha- Mackenzie Dern having some success uh, with the grappling um, and really gritting it out in the last round like really coming on strong knowing that she had to get the finish by the end and just showing her showing her determination um it's good to see Mackenzie Dern still has it as far as the fighting spirit it's not as though she ever had like a lull but sometimes in her post-fight interviews when she lost it would be like hmm I don't know we'll see but this one definitely shows like she has the grit um she has the determination it's just she got she's got to work on her takedowns and it's not just working on having good shots i don't know what her training looks like but one of the things that helps a ton that would help her a ton is being able to mix it up and mix her striking and her takedowns together and really finding those forcing those opportunities watch a watch a lot of gsp tape and watch how he would mix strikes into takedowns Watch Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gastelum and how he was able to mix takedowns into that fight. Um, there's a ton of examples I can give for the importance of mixing those together because it makes your takedowns come so much easier if you can get your opponent thinking about other things. I mean, shit, Corey Sanhagen and Song Yudong recently. 
Corey Sanhagen was able to mix in takedowns with his striking, despite him not necessarily being known for his wrestling, was able to make some grappling work um, because he was able to mix it in and really find clever ways to expand his game without necessarily learning new things, just finding good timing and being able to mix things up. And Mackenzie Dern would benefit so dramatically from that. Um, Because I'm sure you know she must be drilling takedowns. She's got to be working on double legs. She's got to be working on single legs. She's got to be working on things like that. Because once she does get in on a shot and she can get a good grip, she tends to do fairly well getting takedowns. Um, obviously, once Jean-Ann was, you know, turning limp-legging out, uh, doing the old Jose Aldo feed the single and then limp-leg out, it worked really well for Jean-Ann to be able to stay on the feet. But if you time your takedowns really well, you can keep that from happening because you're, you can get too deep so that um, feeding the single doesn't work. So it's the sort of thing where, like, Mackenzie Dern has so much going for her in terms of just, like, grit, determination, being able to hit pretty hard despite not having the best punching mechanics necessarily. Um, But, I mean, we've seen a lot of people with not the best punching mechanics who can make things work. I mean, I would argue that... I would argue Dominic Cruz's punching mechanics don't always look pretty. And Mighty Mouse, Demetrius Johnson's punching mechanics don't always look very pretty. But they can make them work. And Mackenzie Dern can absolutely make her stuff work. It's just, there's a very hard, obvious line between her striking and her grappling. And if she could mix them together a little bit more, you know, start threatening strikes or threatening shots and then coming up with strikes like Frankie Edgar used to do, you know, he would, he would, go, for the knee, he would go for the knee tap and then swing an overhand. Things like that would work with her game really well because everyone, you know, every fighter in the division, rightfully very knowing and cautious about going to the ground of Mackenzie Dern. It's a bad idea. You don't want to do it because her ground game is very, very high level, especially for um, straw weight, which has a lot of strong strikers that don't necessarily, like there aren't like super intricate jujitsu games that permeate that division. There are obviously people that are very good on the ground, um, I mean, Rose Namajunas's ground game is very underrated um, because she's been doing so much striking lately, but her initial push into the UFC was based on her submission game. It's not like they don't exist, but it's not the most common thing necessarily at women's strawweight. So Mackenzie Dern has a fantastic tool. She just, you know, needs a little bit better way to get to it. Could it be a change camp? Maybe. Could it be trying to, you know, reformat her whole training regimen and focus more on mixing things up? It's just kind of a, it's a common theme in MMA right now for people who are very, very, very good jiu-jitsu players to have a hard time getting things to the ground. You know, some guys, unless the striking is very, very good. I mean, you look at Charles Oliveira, obviously he has great wrestling now. Um, But for a long time, it was like Charles Oliveira could strike um, with a little bit more freedom because, you know, especially with kicks, because if an opponent catches a kick and takes him down, then what are you going to do? You're going to chase him down and get triangled or get get guillotined or something? No, you don't want to do that unless you're like a, a really strong top player like a Michael Chandler or somebody which had some success in the first round of their fight before, you know, getting tired from exploding so hard and then getting KO'd from being ever so slightly too slow on the the hooking game. Also just like, man, left hooks in MMA right now. So strong. Just check hooking all over the place because MMA is so aggression focused. Check hooks are an absolutely essential tool. I mean, look at um, the first fight with Izzy and Rob. First fight between Rob and Izzy was just exploding in, check hook twice worked a treat but anyway back on getting getting back on track um Mackenzie Dern Jean-Anne it was one of those fights where it was like it was a gritty war and there was a lot of a uh, lot of action which you always love to see in women's strawweight they tend to be women's strawweight tends to be the most technically good division um and for the most part tend to be the most exciting obviously we've had a terrible terrible example of badness thanks to uh whatever's going on with rose and uh being told the wrong thing in the corner um between rounds in that fight with carla esparza i remember being so absolutely baffled the entire fight 
of that one because it's the sort of thing where you go, hey, like you are better than you're better than Carla in every facet of the fight. You have better striking, you have better grappling. You end up getting a takedown in the last round, but for whatever reason, just don't show the initiative necessary to really make it happen and really, you know, get after the fight. And it's that weird championship mentality that kind of permeates sometimes when a a fighter becomes a champion that they go, well, now I have to be capital T technical and not allow my opponent to do anything because, you know, you got to beat the champ to be the champ and all that bullshit. Um, at the end of the day, the person who does more wins the fight. Yeah, Rose was able to keep Carla from doing that much, but the problem is if unless you're also doing more, then it just doesn't work. I mean, you see Israel Adesanya. Yeah, he doesn't always have the most exciting fights, especially lately, but because he shuts his opponent down and gets his opponent not to be able to do very much. But the problem is... With these other fighters compared compared to Izzy is, yeah, you could complain about Izzy being boring, but at the end of the day, Izzy is still landing more shots and having and having more successful offense than his opponents. And that's why he's still winning, despite being hyper-defensive. Whereas Rose was being hyper-defensive without the offense. And that's why that happened. And it was very weird seeing seeing Pat Berry and her coach just encouraging her like everything's going fine and not trying to like you know weirdly not trying to be like hey nothing's you, you gotta really be doing this you know without, without being too harsh uh it was a very strange dynamic in that corner yeah it's it's important to not allow yourself to have the wrong mentality when you become champ and hopefully the division doesn't become poisoned by that fight and doesn't get ruined because I really like women's straw weight. And, you know, fights like this one with Mackenzie Dern and Jean N um, are great evidence of how awesome straw women's straw weight can be. And ultimately, I think both, I think um, neither of their stock goes down in this fight. I think everybody's going to be excited to see both fighters in the future because at the end of the day, it was, it was a close decision. Yeah, it's, it's one of those ones where you, it's hard to feel bad about the fight because... Both fighters really put it out there and really made great showings for themselves. And like I said, I think I think Mackenzie Dern, with some key adjustments in being able to mix things up, could really find a lot more success in the near future. Because it's not as though she doesn't have great tools to work with. Just needs some needs some tweaks. Because, you know, a standard jiu-jitsu takedown without good setup, it's just not going to have the same kind of success in modern MMA as it once did. But yeah, that's the UFC card. I suppose we could talk about a couple of BMX things before we sign off today, being my thoughts on Nora Cup. Obviously, most of us knew Lewis Mills was going to win. Lewis, The Lewis video, Lewis fiending, as far as video part of the year, it was the fight, like, it was the... It was the video that everybody you talked to that was a hardcore street cat, at least for a short time, talked about that being the video they'd watch before they went riding. When you hear that from pros to ams to average kid at the skate park, that's a serious level of influence. It was just like an absolute beastly video and well-deserved. And everyone I've ever talked to that's hung out with Lewis says he's awesome, and I believe it. He seems like a really rad dude. Then you've got Felix Prangenberg winning both Street Rider and Reader's Choice, which makes sense. The guy put out like three banging parts this year. I think it's three. You know, you got people being like, oh yeah, he put out five parts. It's like, well, that's what it feels like. But yeah, Felix just absolutely on the, on the cusp, on the cutting edge of technical street riding and just making it good, making it look good. He's not awkward and he makes it look smooth. It's just like you can see that like just street riding is evolving and really like the technical proficiency that these guys are reaching is absolutely absurd with between, you know, him and basically that doomed crew are just pushing the limits right now and it's really cool. Um it's not necessarily like exactly my style but you if you don't if you don't appreciate it you are tripping balls kevin peraza wins transition rider i think that's a pretty obvious choice kevin is the no one makes ramp riding look as good as kevin you know ramp and dirt riding look as good as kevin right now at least certainly not with as much in the public eye that he is and how much stuff he puts out kevin is just solid um and looks great doing it and then 
I still haven't seen the video though because I need, I really need to. But you gotta love seeing Chocolate Truck win video of the year. That's just awesome because those guys they put in so much work for so long. And I mean, the thing took what nine years to make or something absurd like that. You gotta love seeing that as well as the Chocolate Truck dudes. It's like gritty Philly street riding and you know East Coast street riding and. The first video, I remember the first video uh, when it came out, really loving it and thinking, I mean, it's just, Nora Cup is such a crazy competition because, like, I don't remember what else was out when the first Chocolate Truck video came out, but I know it had heavy competition and it was one of those things where, like, you see videos that go, man, if it weren't for this other one this year, this would win. And Chocolate Truck was one of those because it was just a proper ass street video. It's just dope. So it was really cool to see Chocolate Truck 2 win and Matt Miller and all those dudes like really deserving to be appreciated for the fruits of their labor. And it's one of those things where like I'm going to order a copy of the DVD tonight because I know it's going to be good. And I knew that before they got the Konora Cup. I just like, oh, a Chocolate Truck video? Hell yeah, I'm going to buy that. Um, so it's really cool to see them getting appreciated for that and the rest of the BMX industry appreciating what they did as well. So that's Nora Cup that just happened a few weeks ago now, Battle of Hastings. Figured I might as well squeeze a little BMX news in there. Didn't really use a lot of BMX metaphor this one. That's, I mean, it's the first one. I've never done this before. So, you know, we'll, we'll get better as we go on. We'll figure it out. We'll suck less, I hope. Who knows? Maybe I'll suck more. Mm. But that's how it is. I'm gonna try to do these weekly. We'll see. Uh, I'm going to do my best. Hopefully that will facilitate improvement. That if I do them more, I'll be better. And I'll um and awe less. And I'll say like less. <laughs> a lot more concise thoughts and maybe be funnier. Who knows? Now I'm just rambling. Anyway, this is the Chokes and Spokes podcast. Be uh, Combat sports from the perspective of a BMX rider. Um, I'll try and get guests on from time to time. It's probably going to be pretty much just BMX people. And uh, we'll just talk, figure things out. Maybe not. Maybe get more confused by the end. Who knows? But uh, that was the UFC card. That was Nora Cup. I'll see y'all next time. Later.